Hello, this is the Plant Book Club. Hi, I'm Ellen Earhart, and this is the Plant Book Club. This month we've read Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life by Marta McDowell. I picked the book this this month, the first one that we read, and I picked it up before we started the book club because I was obsessed with Emily Dickinson. I've been watching the show Dickinson on, on I, you have to get Apple TV to get it, unfortunately. I've been watching the show <laughs> Dickinson on Apple TV, and I have been reading her poems, and yeah, so I was obsessed with Emily Dickinson, and I was already into gardening and so I picked up this book and was very excited to read it and Joram and Tegan very gamely agreed to read it with me. <laughs> yeah, hi. Hi, I'm Joram um, and I'm also very excited uh, about this first episode and uh, this book in particular. Um, I also got to it, uh, yeah, I mean you, you suggested it but then I also first watched the show actually and then uh, <laughs> read the book. Yeah, I want to make a comment here. I think um, both Ellen and I picked up the the physical copy of the book. So it's a really beautiful book, which I think is the, the first thing we should say. And Yoram, you've been reading this on the Kindle, yeah? Yeah, I, I picked, a, I chose to read it on the Kindle. And I think I can already give the little spoiler that this is not the best way to read this particular book. I think I, yeah. I like reading on a Kindle, but um, this book is not great for a Kindle because I'm holding it up now to the camera to my two co-podcasters um, to show. The book book has images and quite a lot of beautiful images. And on a black and white e-ink display, this is not, not the right format for such a beautiful book. Yeah, for me, that's like the first thing that I would take home from this book is that it's it's really beautiful. And to me, it's the sort of thing that you don't have to read you don't see it and necessarily read it as a novel in one chunk you can like pick it up and like flick through it and find a really beautiful image and find some poetry that matches that image and you know read a little bit about Emily's life and her garden and and then put it down again and then come back and, and it's kind of very visual I would say. Yeah when I read this book it was the closest book experience I've ever had to being in an actual museum Reading through the book, it was almost yeah. exactly like being in Emily Dickinson's museum in Amherst to an extreme point. It was very <laughs> soothing. We've had a hard month. We're all we're all self-isolating to some degree, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a really nice it felt it did. It felt like a museum trip for me. But I did feel very bad for y'all because we are in self-isolation. And so you couldn't go out and get the hard copy of it. And so I knew you were reading it digitally. And I'm sorry that that experience was probably not as nice. <laughs> I could have ordered it if I wanted to. It could have, yeah. yeah um, it was just, I have to say, also quite a lot cheaper. It was like two bucks as the Kindle version. <laughs> I should have uh, uh, paid the proper price. And as I'm a little bit of a, like a house a homework nerd, uh, I read a little bit about Emily Dickinson, sort of about her biography. And I wanted just for our listeners who don't know anything about her, who are maybe in the position that I was before I picked uh, up the show and the book, because at least for me in Germany, um, Emily Dickinson is not a name that I have heard of before. Um, and she lived from 1830 to 1886 in Amherst in Massachusetts in the USA, so during Victorian times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the particular thing about her, or the peculiar thing is, um, she wrote a lot of poems, 
uh, but uh, hardly any of them were published during her lifetime. And she lived almost her entire life in just one place and literally like in one house and by the end of her life, almost just in one room. In I mean, Amherst. it's very isolation appropriate, isn't it? Like <laughs> yes. she was somebody who self-isolated to the nth degree, especially by the end of her life. She basically didn't leave her bedroom and just was there writing all of the time. She was the original self-isolator. Yeah, the patron saint of quarantine. <laughs> yeah. We should add that we're reading this uh, on April 25th. 2020 yeah. when we've all been self-isolated because of the emerging infectious disease that has swept the globe so yeah <laughs> that will no doubt continue to come up yeah i think that's really what i want to say now about biography because i, I think the the book is structured into four chapters into spring summer fall and winter and this is also so, sort of following along the different stages of her life so during the spring chapter is about her early life and so on until in the winter chapter it's about her death and what happened after her death yeah the book talks a lot about plants and it's about her garden because she was not only a very eager poet um, but also a very uh, interested gardener yes i really liked how they laid out each species of plants that she planted and <laughs> added annotations of the poems and letters that you could read along with those plants. I thought that was very museum-like also, like I said before, and also brilliant. If you were in a position where you were making a garden and you wanted to exactly cop copy Emily Dickinson's garden, this would be the plant, this would be the book to go with. It's also helped by the fact that there's a massive table in the end with all of her plants catalogued um, with references to her poems, but also... Um, with like each individual species, which I found quite impressive uh, thinking about that this is um, almost 200 years ago um, and we have like a record of exactly the kind of species that what she was growing and um, how where they showed up then in her poems and what, what was her inspiration. Uh, so I, I found that quite interesting. But I have to say, I sometimes when I read through the book, um, they... It often works like this, that you have a poem and then in the poem there's a, a, a type of flower mentioned and then the author goes on and talks about what this flower means and sort of extrapolates from this one flower. And it sometimes to me sounded like this flower must have been very important to Emily Dickinson, although it was just mm -hmm. barely mentioned in one poem. So I sometimes wanted to scream, citation needed, whenever he was going into details about how important these plants she, were for her. She, she, I mean, I had a bit the same feeling as well, like, because I didn't have, again, like Yoram, I didn't have the background of knowing much about Emily Dickinson, so I didn't know her backstory. And actually, I started reading the book and then stopped reading the book, went and read her Wikipedia page and came back to reading the book because I think it actually, it's definitely written for people who are already invested in Emily's life and already know enough about her, her poetry and her stories. And it doesn't give you that much introduction as far as that goes. So I think like if you're like Yoram and I and you're a little bit ignorant about her and her works, read the wiki first or go and like look at the TV show first. And that's like a good way into it. And then, yeah, also I found myself a little bit like, okay, but how is this connected to the biggest story of what's happening? But like, I was curious about that aspect also from the literary side because I found that in many cases the author was quite literal about the the species. So Emily Dickinson, for example, as you said, would write a poem which mentions a rose and then there would be a discussion about the types of roses that they grew in Amherst and things like that. But 
at least my understanding is, and I, I didn't do literature so much, is that all of these flowers also had really important symbolic meanings. So like a rose, if you give somebody a red rose, that's a sign of love. Or if you give them a yellow rose, you're like declaring that they're a coward or like waging war on their families or something like that. And so to me, I I was really interested to also know about this like second more literal thing. And I lacked that a little bit. Like I couldn't I couldn't find that as much except directly through the poetry. Yeah, that's a really good point. Emily Dickinson had a she studied botany, right? So she probably had a full context of the symbolism of each of these plants that I'm sure I was partly missing as I read as I read this as a person in 2020. So yeah, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought about. Yeah, it was also to me sometimes um, going in the same direction with the very literal part is that it's often very, very detailed. Um, I remember at one point uh, the author actually describes the opening and closing times of an exhibition that Emily might have visited where she went to a place where this, uh, I think it was a, a botanical exhibition and it was probably interesting to Emily. So it's likely that she went there, but then reading about the opening and closing time, I was just like maybe too much information but at the same time as you said like if you think of this book as a museum as a walk through a museum you are excited about these details because that's what you go to the museum for and and there were some of these details that i just found unbearably charming like there was so like it really made me like the characters who again I, I didn't know much about before so um there was one example where they were talking about how she moved to this school away from Amherst for only one year I think it was a boarding school and she was talking about how the rooms were very cold and a lot of her school friends had brought their plants with them and she was like oh I really miss ha not having my plants with me but on the other hand it's too cold and my plants would die and this is something which is like a small detail but there was like little bits of these small details throughout the book which were just really like they re made me really feel connected to the character it's the sort of thing that I would do and I could see myself being like oh I I've got to bring my plants with me when I go on holidays um yeah, yeah. I, I, I like those those little small details when they came up yeah I I really really spiked an interest to me in Emily Dickinson it was a tv show and then I mean the tv show is a uh, very sort of open in the in their interpretation of her life and her biography so um this one was much more close to what really happened and so i had sort of this fictional interpretation of her life uh, which modern storytelling in the tv show and then a, a very literal very detailed look at her life um mostly as a gardener but also as a poet in her personal life i i found it quite interesting and it gave me it was to me a nice introduction into her and i'm now really I wouldn't say a fan because I still know too little about her, but she's definitely now very present on my mind now, and I quite like that because also the, the I really enjoyed the poems uh, mixed in between there, not only as a point of reference for the kind of flowers that she was growing in her garden, but also just as a sort of nice thing to read in between. It was like a nice break from, from the detailed descriptions, and you had um, her poetry, which was... Um, I think it's important to say very advanced um, it was not, not like anything from her time and it was more compared to something from the 20th century later like in hindsight when people when scholars were reading about her, her poetry or like analyzing it they were saying this is she was ahead of her time it was a really modern mm. way of, of writing poetry and yeah that made me really like her like her work and like like sympathize, sympathize with her life even though she was often met with like restrictions and couldn't go do exactly what she wanted to do um, because of the time she was living in. 
Yeah, for sure. Even though she was the queen of self-isolation, as we've said, (laughs) it also feels very easy to be intimate with her as a poet and as a writer because of her poems. Like, there's, they're just, I think they give a great insight into her. They make you feel connected with her. And I think knowing more about the plant she was surrounded by and as Tegan said, these charming stories about how all of her plants died when she was at school because it was too cold, or no, how she couldn't bring her plants to school because it was too cold, made you feel even more connected with her. And I think it's, in a way, what the writer of the TV show Dickinson, Elena Smith, took advantage of in order to make the Haley Steinfeld version of her life. That intimacy already exists, yeah. and... I think, yeah, that's why this book and the TV show, I think, are such great companions. They both draw on that. Yeah. So, yeah, I have I, I note down some of my favorite passages. And I think it's uh, now, I think that would be a good place to talk about one of my favorite poems from her that I uh, marked in my, my read-through there. And um, her poems usually don't have titles. They just have numbers. Um And this one is the number 1779, and the date is unclear from uh, when it is. And it's very short. It's just, to make a prairie, it takes a clover and one bee, one clover and a bee, and reverie. The reverie alone will do if bees are few. And I quite like that sort of melancholic approach this uh, but also very vivid i don't know i don't want to uh, explain too much because i'm not a i am not an english major i have no idea about uh, sort of the poetry of things but i quite enjoyed that and that stood out to me and there were many poems like that that i enjoyed reading throughout the book yeah i have some questions for y'all mm-hmm. if you are interested in discussion questions yes let's hit the questions so it's springtime as we read this did this change the way that y'all will go about your springtime plantings at all? No, but I don't really plant things. I um, I like plants as a study object and not so much as a thing that I interact with. I have to say my, my, my wife, um, she's an avid gardener and she's taking care of all of the, the garden and the house plants and so on. So I have to say, no, it doesn't really change the way I approach planting things now. Yeah, to me, it, it came across that, at least in the way this book was written, this seemed like such a large part of her life, the gardening, and like so intricately woven with like the other side of her, which was her poetry, but then also her relationship with her family. Like these things are all connected. Like her home is also the garden, which is also giving them a source of income. It's also allowing her contact with the outside when she becomes reclusive because she's sending like pressed flowers with her letters. And there's even a really nice thing about how she would... um send these small like bouquets of flowers and then um if you unwrapped the bouquet there would be like a small letter attached to the stem of one of the flowers so to me it seemed like this gardening was such a part of her life and i really admired it but to me i was like this is just not realistic for my life like i do not have that much time like it was it's it's this kind of um almost religious devotion to to having this life it's it's a lifestyle it's not just a hobby right and I think that's that's what seemed really different like she lived in this different world that was this gardening and this literary world that I I just don't think I live in that world I wondered if the plants and her like it talks about a lot also about the letters that she was sending 
are sort of a stand-in for our modern ways of communication. I mean, obviously, they didn't have telephones or Facebook or anything. So you would send literal letters to people and to sort of spice things up. You would include pressed plants and so on. Um, and also, we know so much about her because it's all documented in letters that she would send as, as correspondents. Um, and so what I'm hearing is you're saying she used plants as emojis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were plant <laughs> yes. emojis. But then we should have heard more about this, again, this like meaning of like, why did she send Sue this flower? And why did she send the other, pro you know? Why did she like, send I the eggplant? The what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a really nice quote about an eggplant. There was something, it was not from Emily, but um, one of the other people, I, I'm going to read it out. Why do people rave over the beauty of daisies? They look to me like hard boiled eggs cut in two. And I highlighted that as one of my favorite quotes from the book. Yeah. It's really beautiful. Yes. <laughs> It also stood out to me. <laughs> One of my favorite descriptions of her was that um, she relied on her family like a parasitic plant relies on other organisms. Yes! When she was compared to these uh, Indian pipes, um, a plant that if you want to read more about this, uh, you can find something about on it on <laughs> plantsatpipettes.com as a shameless oh self-life. <laughs> um, but also like it's this parasitic plant. It's like uh, very pale and white because it doesn't make any chlorophyll. It doesn't photosynthesize and it grows on uh, actually on a fungus that it, it then in turn grows on a tree. And this was sort of um, the, the author. The, uh, actually, I don't know if it was the author or her family that described it uh, like this, that she was, I think it was the author. Um, I think that's who deserves the credit here to paint this image of her like thriving and living off of the support around her so she couldn't um, fully support herself for for different reasons but she still managed to like grow as a person because of the support network that she has much like um, such a plant that would emerge from the ground white without any possibility to do photosynthesis I actually thought that yeah I thought that was a bit of an unfair comparison because I, the author kind of tried to make it sound nicer than it was so the description the author says is it's a botanical barter at its best so the idea that the ghost pipe is bartering with the, the fungi that feed it and the other trees that it basically takes the nutrients of but like these ghost pipes are not bartering they're not trading they're just stealing they're 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 parasites and so i think like the author then dresses up this idea of like oh they're exchanging and emily is also exchanging like her flowers and her information and her garden like knowledge but the example they're using this metaphor seems a bit meaner almost it's like it's a parasite it's really a parasite do you have another question yeah so it's clear that emily dickinson's life was largely devoted to nature did y'all think about climate change while reading this book or how do you uh, think emily dickinson would have dealt with that because it's such a solace for her and for me i it makes me so anxious when i think about how the seasons are changing and how climate change is changing that and what species are thriving because of that and which ones are being destroyed so yeah did y'all think about that as you read this I my current job is related to climate change so I can't read anything without thinking about climate change honestly <laughs> it's it's always there climate change I think in this case the author addresses it only really briefly in the book she talks about how um Emily acknowledged that some of the flowers she was used to seeing were becoming rarer and rarer by like in the surroundings by being basically overpicked by other girls I think but it's not really discussed explicitly in the book. But yeah, I mean, I think when we read about nature these days, that's just something that's always going to be on our minds, right? Like how, how much nature is changing and how rapidly. 
Yeah, I also had to think about this example of of this lack of or loss of diversity or this loss of the specific flowers because they were picked. And apart from that, yeah, I think it's it's a lot about the description that she has in nature. And then maybe I, my, my view was also a little bit um, influenced by the TV show where it's a very important point where she wants to protect a tree that was that's supposed to be cut down for the railway. And I don't know how much basis that has in real life. But um, this sort of shaped the lens that I was uh, looking at the stories uh, in, in the book that she was really deeply invested in her environment and thinking about how right now we in April we don't only have we not only have this like global pandemic in Germany we also have just about like three percent three percent of the rainfall that we usually have in this period. Um, so mm-hmm. we have a massive drought coming up again this summer for the third year in a row, and seeing like thinking about these things that are impacting us now and how that would have felt for her that. For, for Emily Dickinson, for whom the environment, nature was so important and then seeing like things that lost around her. And actually, I don't know how what Amist looks like nowadays. Um, uh, maybe you can tell us something about it, Ellen. Like, is, is Massachusetts one of the like big wheat farming or corn farming um, states in the US nowadays? I am from Texas and now I live in California. So I don't know as much about this <laughs> as I probably should. The... Uh, I do know that this week they had tornadoes around New York and Pennsylvania and I think Massachusetts, which is rare. (laughs) um, So I think Emily Dickinson would have noticed the changes going on in her garden if she was living today. Having said that, her garden also is... I mean, it's in the US, right? But it's based on this kind of English country garden in some ways as well. I mean, the species we're talking about in this book, these are mostly not native species. These are mostly things that have been brought in to form a garden and and crops that have been developed also by human breeding. So yeah, there's that element as well, right? That's true. I think someone in the UK would have a much easier time growing the plants that she was growing than I would in California. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I did like that she took to indoor gardening when she started becoming more reclusive. They were talking about how she had very much this kind of houseplant situation going on, which, again, very 2020 of her. Like, she seems like she would have fit in quite well in this day. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Emily Dickinson, top plant influencer and quarantine queen. <laughs> yeah, although probably not somebody to be quarantined with. There was one of the um, statements in the book about... I forget his name. Was it Higginson? Um, the man who was kind of her mentor and ultimately published the poems. Mm-hmm. Do you remember her, his name, Ellen? I think it's Thomas Higginson. Yeah. And he said when he met her that he was, I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't find the exact quote, but he basically said that she was the hardest person to interact with ever. And his final statement was that he was very glad that they lived quite far away from each other, <laughs> that he didn't have to meet her so often. She was... um. <laughs> Ah uh, yes, I ne- I never was with anyone who drained my nerve power so much was his statement. I I understood it in a way that she um was very sort of intense but not annoying but more like yeah, she she was really discussing like, tough on all the time on, just like on. And very discussing tough topics and things that really make you think you can't have light conversations, you can't have small talk. This is the way I understood it. Um mm. And le- that's how I understood it too. A true artist. Yeah. I'm just sense. saying, like maybe not the the best person for quarantine body. Like she would keep the plants <laughs> sure. alive. 
I mean, sometimes she would stay to herself. Like for large amounts of time, she would just sit in her bedroom and write. So that could be okay if you have like a shared bathroom or something with her. But now I want to watch a sitcom, like uh, another series based on her life, where it's like all moved to modern days, where she's in a shared flat situation. She lives in her room. <laughs> she has like a little nursery, maybe like uh, in an, in a little thing on the roof. And um, yeah, she's mostly by herself and has like a difficult family situation in the background. Um, and yeah, I want to see that sitcom now. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would totally watch that. One of my other really, like, the thing I loved about her was that people kept on referencing that she would just hand them flowers. So that was a really nice thing um, about a guest, a, f a friend of the family. And I'm going to read a quote here. Um, talking about Dickinson or writing about Dickinson it says um, she re received me in a little black a little back hall that connected with the kitchen it was dimly lighted she asked if I would have a glass of wine or a rose and I love this like bizarre dichotomy of like you may have a beverage or a flower <laughs> like, these are your two options take it or leave and it did she go <laughs> like, out to pick the rose then freshly for it for him I think he's. Uh, I think he continues yeah. to say like I, I. I was a little bit perplexed and I chose the rose, and then she immediately went to the garden, sort of went away, and picked the rose for him. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> which is also like if somebody offered you like a glass of wine, which everybody offers you, or they offered you like a bumblebee, or like you know a wasp in a box, or something like you would choose the more bizarre option, hopefully just to see what the, like what is the outcome of this. Yeah, a good way to change it up if you are in the business of entertaining. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind for the post-COVID times. Like, don't just offer your guests a glass of wine. <laughs> offer them like a ball of your cat's fur or um, your toenails or something. I mean, a rose is not toenails. <laughs> yeah, a rose is a sensual experience like alcohol. You can smell it. You can. You look have not at it. seen it my pretty. toenails, Ellen. You don't know how beautiful they can be. <laughs> yeah, probably the rose is, is more preferred. <laughs> But she seems quirky. She definitely seems like the, the quirky... In, in your sitcom, com, she's like definitely the, the quirky one of the friends, right? Yeah, yeah. something that For I sure. noted that, went, that, that goes along with the quirkiness is the like in her times, religion was very important. And she wasn't very religious uh, as far as I could understand it from, from the book. And she said she, mm. there's only one commandment she ever obeyed and that's consider the lilies uh, from luke 12 27 and matthew 6 28 yeah. and i really liked it that she picked like the one quote from the bible that's just a, a straight up about flowers and she's like yeah that's 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 what something i can live by from from the bible it's like it's not that i'm not religious it's just that i'm like i'm really working on that lily consideration <laughs> like once i'm done with the lilies i promise i'll get back to like all the other rules but right now Lilies. Yeah, it also says that when her family would go to church, she would go out and look at flowers, right? Like <laughs> she was like, "This is my church. This is my religion." Yeah, yeah. That's actually, her thing. I, I really like that attitude. I think that's super beautiful. The idea of like I can worship God anywhere outside, and you know, God's listening still. I think that's that's a nice approach to religion, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Consider the lilies. <laughs> <laughs> all of them, like all the time through the seasons. Oh, just like related to that, I also really liked her relationship with um, housework, where she just said, "I prefer pestilence." I thought that was like something else. I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I can, I can empathize with this woman." Yes. Yeah. Also, very much has to do with the parasite thing. Like, she was an artist in the sense 
in the traditional sense of a male artist who people took care of, you know, like, yes. she, I don't think she did a lot of domestic work, you know, like she was fed, she, her laundry was probably done, like always, everyone always makes fun of Ralph Waldo Emerson, because his mom did his laundry. I don't think she was doing a whole lot of housework. I think even Lavinia took care of her plants sometimes, right? In yeah. the end of her life. Yeah. So. I think we've got to hear what Vinny's point of view is on this whole situation, because that yeah, seems exactly like a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's something also that's, that struck me by uh, reading this. Like, it's all about Emily Dickinson, and also the TV show is very focused on her. But to me, the really the, the MVP in this whole situation is her sister, Lavinia, um, who took care of took care of her, uh, who lived longer than her, so she took care of her until her death, and then later took care of um, uh, of her poems and her writing. Um, she destroyed some letters as she was asked to, but she didn't destroy the poems, and then they made sure that sort of gave them in the right hands to 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 continue that. And uh, as a as a cat person, the one thing that I noted for Lavinia as the most important thing to me is that she was a she was a cat lady and she had a lot of cats. Yep. And at one point they say the names of her cats, um, and they had names like Drummy Doodles, um, <laughs> uh, also Tabby, and um, they it now combines two of my favorite things, which is um, TV shows of the noughties and cats. She named her cats Buffy and uh, another one Tootsie. So Tootsie, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she was also a prophet yes. in her own way in the terms of popular media. I was a little bit disappointed that Emily was more of a dog person than a cat person, personally. Like I thought poetic nature, really into the wildlife. Like, I don't know, that goes with cats. Like, poetry goes with cats. Poetry goes with yeah. cats. Yeah, but in this case, not. She was. She had her dog, Car yeah. Carlos. Yeah, true. Have y'all done any flower pressing at all since this has begun? After I read this, I started kind of collecting flowers on my chores that I, you have to go to, the, you have to walk to the grocery store. And mm -hmm. so I've been collecting flowers and like adding them to these collages that I made inspired by Emily Dickinson. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I didn't do it so, yet, but I got, a, I got a taste for it. I was like, this, this sounds really exciting. Problem is, I had a boss who was very proud of his herbarium that he had, which is pretty much also like pressed flowers, but he was a bit too proud of it. It came up a little bit too often how many species he had. No, that was had. a lie. It was a lie, Yarm. The herbarium was made up. No, it wasn't made up. It just made up the yeah, size of it. He said something that it was like the largest in Europe and it was just like the second largest or whatever. Um, no, no, I think it was all a trick. I think it was just all made up in the end. Anyway, um, so this... So this, this boss ruined it yeah, for you, this you're imprinting, saying? This Pavlovian reflex that oh I have now um, when it comes to pressing flowers is sort of standing in my way of, of having like, this beautiful hobby because I think there's something I could really get into because it's also very much about like dissecting flowers and like looking at them closely um, uh, and figuring out their biology, which I find very exciting. Um, so yeah, that would be something for me, but I haven't done it yet. I, I have been pressing flowers, but I did it as a kind of COVID response. Even before I read the book, I was kind of like, mm, now it's like go through all of my pile of hobbies that I theoretically have, but never have time to do and started doing something like that. So yeah, it's, it's a nice thing to do. And I like the idea of collecting stuff on our rambles that are very occasional throughout the city. Should we, did y'all come up with your ratings? Uh, I, your leaves? Oh, this is complex. <laughs> I rated this three out of five belladonna leaves in honor oh, of nice. my podcast, Plant Crimes. I picked belladonna <laughs> leaves. The poisonous ones. 
I think it's for a very, this book is for a very specific person experiencing something specific, which by that, I mean the TV show Dickinson. This is an excellent companion to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also noted down that this is a book for historical gardening lovers. Like if you are really into this idea of recreating gardens from other people or just getting drawing inspiration from the gardens of historical figures, I think this is a perfect book for you. Um, and as I'm not really that kind of person, I have to say that there were times when I struggled reading, like continuing to read. So this book is not for people who uh, don't really want to garden and don't really want to recreate this thing. Um, but absolutely something for yeah anybody who is excited about Emily Dickinson or historical figures in general and want to recreate uh, their gardening. And my rating system, I think I have to come up with something on the spot, but I would also say like a three out of five and the category I will tell you in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I am into gardening and this didn't get the gardening angle for me. I think I definitely see Alan's point of view as the museum. Like the, I, I didn't connect so much with the poetry because I'm not much of a poetry person, but I really was... I was drawn by all the beautiful old um, botanical plates. It has a lot of photographs. I mean, this book is about, what, 200 pages. I mean, it's actually, it's almost 300 pages, but the last, like, 70 pages are just a list of the different, um, yeah, I have the same copy as you, Alan, um, just a list of the different plants that you could find in the garden. So that it's kind of acting as a reference there. And then within the 200 pages, I would say, like, at least half of the bulk is from photographs and images and then another third of it is the poetry and I really enjoyed this experience of kind of like flitting around around like and taking it in as a visual experience but not as a novel for me I think that's like a key thing here I would say if you have prior knowledge of Emily Dickinson and any investment in her, or you've even just read her poetry growing up, then I would go for the three out of four. I think I'm going to go like, maybe like chlorophylls. I don't know if I can I really say I have, can I have three out of four chlorophylls? Yeah. Three out of five chlorophylls. Chloroplast. Chloroplast might, might make more sense. It's All what right. I wanted to pick now. Now I have to pick again. No, it's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Do you want chloroplast? No, no. Do you want chloroplast? No, no. I'm good. I, I just say... Uh, photosystems which is now this is my homework for next week is to come up with a good grading system for for a good category but I give it a 3 out of 5 of whatever I come up next week okay we can just make them up each each week so I think like if you did have that background and interest in um, Emily Dickinson maybe then it would be the 3 out of 5 and I'm going to go with the chloroplast I'm stealing at Yoram um, for me, it was more to the two because I didn't have the background and I did have to do background reading. And I think there should be some foreword about that. Like, go and read the Wikipedia first <laughs> and then you will love this as an immersive experience. Yeah. That's fair. But uh, just as a side note, the TV show on uh, on Apple TV Plus is, to me, a five out of five. I enjoyed it so much. It's it's not very... Sorry, in- is it free in your country? I only got one episode in the UK. No, Did I do something I, wrong? No, no. You, you didn't spend a lot of money on Apple products recently or you don't pay the monthly subscription. It's like Netflix. Um, ah. And if you bought an iPhone in like last fall, then you get a year for free. <laughs> and that's what I got. So Yeah, I honestly paid the $6 a month or something to be able to watch Dickinson specifically because yeah. I'm not watching any other shows on Apple yeah, TV. Yeah, none of the other shows do it for me, but this one show like, I really enjoyed. Like, it has a perfect tone for me. It's very... I, I just enjoyed it and it got me really excited about her. Actually, I wanted to know more about her personal life. So sometimes during the book reading, I was like 
stop talking about her plants. Tell me about her. Like, why did she go into seclusion? Why did she do I this I wanted and that? more personal life as well. Yeah. Especially because there's all that juicy bits about, like, did she have lovers? Was she gay? Like, was it with different people? Like, was the older guy also one of her? Like, this is something, like, people just don't know. And there's a lot of intrigue there. And yeah. That was, I think, quite deliberately not in the book. I think that was a, a very I mean, clear choice by the author. It's in the title. It's about her gardens. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, For sure. you know, no, because even then, like a lot of her poetry and a lot of her letters were written to Sue. So this is the the wife of her brother, brother who people say that she might have had a relationship with. And there was this big edit after... Um, Dickinson died when they found her poetry and they published the poetry and they edited the name Susan out of many of the poems like and part of this was because the person who was publishing the poem was the the mistress of the brother so she didn't like the wife of the brother obviously and this was very relevant to the garden I think like these poems could also have been like there was love poems there was like gardening involved and it was it was there. I mean, there was discussion in the book about how the the family was very close and how the children were used as messengers between the aunt and Susan. But it was a really deliberate choice to not talk about that. So I felt like the author did not want to gossip. That was my feeling. <laughs> I would have liked some. More yeah, which gossip. is which is fair of Marta McDowell. But yeah, I think you're yeah. totally right. I think that Dick, Emily made these really beautiful poems. For as gifts for Sue. Mm-hmm. And she also grew flowers as gifts for Sue. Yeah. So I think that that's relevant. It is relevant to her gardening life, her relationship with Sue, because she made these things as gifts for her family. That was part of their connection as well, right? Because they both had this love of the gardening and it, it was kind of, and they were living on like joint property. They were living next door and sharing kind of this gardening interest. So... And the book even spends some of the time talking about Sue's garden and how Sue's garden was different from Emily. So, yeah. But I think that's like, as you said, if you want the intrigue, you can go and watch Dickinson, the TV series, which is, I mean, we should explain a little bit what it is. It's Hallie Steinfeld, Seinfeld, Steinfeld? is Yeah, it's Hallie Steinfeld, yeah. And um, kind of set in the right time, but also somehow modernized in the way they interact. And then with a magical yes. element as well, right? Yes. They use contemporary music, which I mm-hmm. think sets a really interesting tone. And yeah, it definitely dives into, yeah, like you said, the more magical elements of Emily Dickens' attitudes towards bees, death. The obsession with death, yeah. Yeah, she has a real relationship with death in the in the TV show. Yeah, and between sort of their peers, they talk in a very modern language, like they say words like chill and so on. But then you mm-hmm. also have this sort of more historical language when you have sort of her father, for example, and so on. Um, so that gave me, to me, that, that sort of put this Victorian era into like an understandable frame because now... I can sort of understand what it's like to live in that time because if it's all just like the historical language then to me they all sound fancy and weird and I can't really relate Um, and this way you could relate sort of with the main characters and with the young people and you could see the struggles with like the hierarchies and the like having respect for your father and the dominance of the father in the household and and these things Um, but they're also like at one point they're throwing a party and then they're sort of they're having fun at one point, like they dance like like people would dance nowadays, but at one point they also dance in a very historical way, um, 
and to me yeah it, to me it was the best way to, int to introduce what life was like in this time by not being perfectly accurate but just by being accurate enough and then also using like the language and ways of presenting this from from modern times um to get it make it relatable so that's why i really enjoyed it and really yeah mm. got um, got me excited for emily dickinson yeah and there's gonna be a season two. Oh, that's great <laughs> Yeah, they made it already before the pandemic struck. I think they ah, had finished, hopefully. Great. I hope I'm not spreading fake news there, but I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> the case. I'm looking forward to that. This was Emily Dickinson's Gardening Life by Marta McDowell. And on average, a solid three out of five from all of us, right? <laughs> but <laughs> Three out of five. But I think if you are the, the target audience, you will enjoy it much more than a three out of five. I think for, for some people, it will be a solid five out of five. And the For author sure. has other books in the series. So there's one, uh, Beatrix Potter's Gardening Life as well, if you're more of a Peter Rabbit fan. So there are options. Oh, and also The World of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Wilder so Little House on the Prairie, yeah? Should we wrap it up by discussing what we're going to read next month? I think, Yoram, you already had a pretty cool suggestion, yeah? I found a book. It's called Fruit from the Sands, uh, The Silk Road Origins of the Foods We Eat uh, from Robert and Spangler III. Um, and it's about the influence. I mean, I just read uh, a review about it. It's on the influence of the Silk Road, of the trading routes between Asia and um, the Middle Eastern region and Europe uh, and what that did to cultivated plants and the spread of plants along these, these route, which wasn't just one single single road it was a whole network of trade routes connecting very different cultures very different growth areas very different agricultures and what this did to the mixture of crops um, and i think it could be quite interesting i haven't read it yet so um i think that will be very exciting that sounds Should absolutely that? fascinating yeah. yeah let's do it let's do it nice so the next episode will come in about a month's time uh, until then, you can reach out to us. Um, I don't know, like we we haven't created it yet, but uh, maybe we'll have a Twitter and Facebook account for the show. But uh, until we have that, you can follow our individual accounts. Um, you can follow Tegan and uh, uh, my stuff uh, over at Plants and Pipettes, so on plantsandpipettes.com or at plantspipettes. Uh, we will keep you updated also about this show there, I guess. And Ellen, where can people reach you? People can find the podcast, social media, my podcast, Plant Crimes, uh, uh, at Twitter, that's Crimes Plant, and then on Instagram as Ellen Airplant, and then my personal Twitter is just Ellen Earhart. And I want to comment that Ellen has one of the most beautiful Instagram feeds <laughs> that I've ever seen, and that's actually Thank how you. we met, is that I was like, <laughs> I need to follow this person who has all these pretty, pretty plants. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I love my houseplants. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening. Uh, it was a pleasure. It was fun. Yeah. See you. Until next time. Bye. Bye. The opening and closing music is from the album Green Ideas from Pine Walk. You can find the music on Bandcamp where it is published under a Creative Commons license 3.0.